Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Give us ears to hear your truth, and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw close to you. May we thirst for the water that your love brings us. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. These men, these twelve men that were chosen from among the multitude of disciples, Do you realize that none of them were chosen because of any trait that they had, or any characteristic that they had, or any talent or ability that they had? No, they were chosen because God chose them. Do you think that God really needs your talent to do His work? Before Jesus' influence in their lives, The disciples were a motley crew of undisciplined, mostly uneducated, and unremarkable men. However, it is these very men that God used to change the world through the gospel of Jesus Christ. In today's message, Pastor David teaches us in a message from Luke that God's ways of doing things are not our ways. God uses the weaker things of this world to accomplish great works so that we might see His glory and give Him praise. Now here's Pastor David with part two of today's message entitled, God's bizarre plan. honest with ourselves and with God, we'd have to admit the fact that God usually doesn't move in the way that most of us are even comfortable with. But then again, as he told us through Isaiah the prophet, he said, my ways are not your ways and neither are your thoughts my thoughts. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways and your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. You see, God is God and we are not. Amen? We ought to be really happy about that. So with that understanding, with that knowledge that God's going to move in ways that don't make logical sense to us, He's going to work in ways that, man, seem really odd and really bizarre, let's look at our passage this morning in Luke chapter 6. It's that portion in Luke where Jesus picks those 12 men out of all the other followers and calls them as apostles. We're in the gospel according to Luke. We're in chapter 6. We continue on in our study beginning in verse 12. In verse 12, we read this. Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in, in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself. And from them he chose twelve, whom he also named apostles, Simon, whom he also named Peter, and Andrew his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called the Zealot, and Judas the son of James, oh, and Judas Iscariot, who also became a traitor. 
Thus far in our studies in Luke, Jesus has moved on in his ministry, working in a multitude of ways as multitudes of people were following him. He would minister in the synagogues. He would speak out in the open along the seashore, along the mountainside, ministering, healing, uh, touching lives in, in every aspect and in every way. And in the midst of this, he was drawing attention to the kingdom of God as he spoke and as he ministered to the people that came and followed him. We've already seen that there's often times that as he's ministering to the masses of people, that he would have to break away from them for a time of refreshing, a time of renewal, a time of reconnection and communion with the Father. He would break away from the crowds and go and pray. But here, just as we read in verse 12. It's not just simply getting away for an hour or two. This time it says that Jesus continued all night in prayer to God. You know, there's times in our lives when just a moment or two of prayer is really necessary. Oh, God, help me. That, that's, that's, sometimes that's a very valid prayer right in the midst of something that's going on. There's other times that we extend our prayer and we make intercession or supplication for others and we may extend that time of praying with family or with friends. Sometimes it's called for even a deeper prayer that maybe we call the congregation to, to pray together. We come together for particular needs and we go into extended times of prayer. There are those times that are necessary. But then there are also times uh, of what Charles Spurgeon called protracted prayer. And this is, as he says, it's times for extraordinary supplication. In a message given by Spurgeon to the Metropolitan Tabernacle back in 1868, Spurgeon spoke of the, in the context of this particular scripture passage here, chapter 6 of Luke, verse 12. And this is what he shares with this congregation. I think it was pretty valid for us this morning. He says that Jesus was about to choose 12 apostles. And before that solemn act of ordination was performed, he sought power for them from the Most High. Who can tell what blessings were granted to the 12 in answer to that midnight intercession? Christian, speaking to the congregation, Christian, if you enter upon a new enterprise or engage in something that is weightier and more extensive than what you have done before, select a day or a night and set it apart for special communion with the Most High. If you are to pray, you must work. But if you are to work, you must also pray. If your prayer without your work would be hypocrisy, your work without prayer would be presumptuous. So see to it that you are especially in supplication when especially in service. Balance your praying and working. And when you have reached the full tale of one, do not diminish any of the other. So our work and our prayer go hand in hand. Whatever that work might be, the need to be led and directed by prayer is also there. Spurgeon understood that there will be these reoccurring seasons within our lives as believers, that we need to tarry, that we need to plead, we need to intercede, we need to wait, we need to listen to the Lord in extended times of prayer. And here the Savior gives us an example of that. And if he gives us an example of it, shouldn't we also be followers of that example? Here Luke tells us, 
that finally after that night of prayer in verse 13, he says that when it was day, he called his disciples to himself. And from them, he chose 12 whom he also named apostles. Well, by this time, there was multitudes of people that were following Christ. And as I've shared before, I, I understand and that, that many, many within those multitudes, they were there for the, the free lunch program and the free health care, okay? He's going to heal my diseases. He's going to feed us. I, I know that. I understand that. But I also believe that among those multitudes, there was a great amount of people that just desired to hear the words of the kingdom of God. They desired to know what God was doing, and how their lives could be a part of that. They were true followers. They were disciples of Jesus Christ. They heard the words of the kingdom. They desired to live their lives. And there was a multitude of those also. Well, out of that multitude of disciples, the ones that were hungry for the things of the kingdom of God, Jesus chose the twelve. And those who were called were then called into even a deeper relationship, a deeper commitment, and yes, a deeper responsibility. But I want you to realize this morning, these men, these 12 men that were chosen from among the multitude of disciples, do you realize that none of them were chosen because of any trait that they had or any characteristic that they had or any talent or ability that they had. No, they were chosen because God chose them. Do you think that God really needs your talent to do his work? Do you think that God really needs your resources to be able to carry on his plan? No. If we have these things, if we have talents, if we have resources, if we have abilities, he will use them when we surrender them into his care and into his hand and leading. But please understand that these 12 men, they weren't called because they were anything special. They were simply called because God picked them. Oh, I know the church through the years, we put these 12 men in stained glass. We put them up on pedestals carved out of marble. And we've, again, thought very special about them. But you and I, we need to realize these were normal men just like you and I. They had struggles, they had failures in their lives, they had issues in their lives, just like you and I. And yet God chose them for a special purpose for his use. And who were they? Well, the word tells us, beginning in verse 14, Simon, who he also named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called the zealot, Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who also became a traitor. So during his night of prayer, it was the Father, I believe, who gave him instruction and direction. And when you think of who he chose to leave the future of the, of the church to, 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 to leave the message of the gospel to, to leave the work of the kingdom to, because he knew he was only going to be here for a while, well, let's face it. None of these guys would have passed any of our human uh, uh, resources department's uh, uh, check. 
We, we look at these guys and we understand. There, there's nothing that stands out among these guys that we would be drawn to them. And yet God in his wisdom chose purposefully and correctly the men who would be Jesus' closest companions during his earthly ministry, knowing full well that one of them would be used by the devil to come against him and to betray him. And yet he chose him as one of the apostles. Do you realize that? That's bizarre. That's strange. That's odd. That's outside of our logic. Let's face it. If you had a company and you were choosing your 12 top people and you knew that one guy was a major backstabber and he would sell you out in a heartbeat, would you pick that guy to be one? No, that would be odd. That'd be strange. If it were someone other than the Lord Jesus that were picking these men out, if it were someone other than the Lord Jesus that had prayed all night to the Father before he came and picked these, I believe that the conversation would have, would have been totally different than it was with Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but as I thought of this, I thought in my own mind how my brain would have processed this if I was praying and seeking the Lord and the Lord brought these names up to me, men that I've already spent some time with. My conversation might have been along this line. Peter, are you kidding me? Peter, that guy comes in like a stormtrooper, Father. He has absolutely no finesse in his life. Now, I, I could see Andrew. Andrew's a pretty upstanding guy. I agree with him. But Peter? Are we talking about the same guy? Peter, Simon, Barjona, that guy? And, and what about this James and John? Father, do you realize why they call them the sons of thunder? Because, again, there's no compassion in their lives. As a matter of fact, we see a little bit later in the Gospels where it's James and John that come to Jesus and say, hey, should we call down hellfire on these guys over here, destruction from heaven, because they're not with us and they're over here? And Jesus says, no, they're not against us. They're okay. But it was James and John, man. They wanted to wipe them out, these sons of thunder. Oh, and by the way, it was James and John that always looking up for numero uno. Uh, remember, they sent their mama to Jesus and says, hey, uh, ask him if we could sit on the right and the left hand side. Really? James and John, Father? Those guys? Oh, and Thomas. Well, he seems to be someone who's come from that place that simply says, show me. You know, he doesn't seem to take anything by faith. He needs to see it all in action first before he's willing to step out. Thomas, I need somebody secure. I need somebody straightforward. I need somebody full of faith. And you want me to pick Thomas? Oh, and Simon, that, that, that other Simon, the one that we all know as the zealot. Do you realize there's a reason why they call him a zealot? He has the attitude of mind that says, let's wipe them all out. The father will take care of the rest. That's the mindset of the zealot. And again, do you want that guy representing your kingdom, Father? Simon, the zealot? Oh, oh and that, that, that last one. That guy named Judas Iscariot? I don't know about him. He's got pretty sneaky eyes. I, I, I wouldn't trust him with anything. Let's face it, they're, they're definitely not the ones that you and I would consider but they are the ones that the Father chose. These are the ones that Jesus chose to be his apostles, knowing everything about them. 
understanding their weaknesses and understanding their failures, and yet God chose them to be the apostles. Now, I need you to do something with me this morning, and I need everybody to be, uh, again, uh, uh, partakers in this little event. If, if you're not going, and if you say, I don't want to do that because it's going to make me look odd. No, you will look odd if you're not doing it, okay, because everybody else is doing it. I want you to take a moment and look around the people that are sitting around you, beside you, in front of you, maybe even behind you. Take a good, hard look at the people that are around you, the people that, that God has brought here this morning. And I want you to realize that there are some that are in here this morning that are so different than you are absolutely diverse from anything that you could even imagine. Their home life is totally different than anything that you would be comfortable with. Their background is nothing that you would ever want to be a part of. Or perhaps it's a, man, I wish my life was like theirs. The diversity of what we have here this morning. And there are those that are here, maybe seated right beside you, in front of you, or behind you. They come here this morning and they've got troubled history. You may or may not know about that trouble. There's some that come in here this morning that are seated right in the same place with you, and they brought with them this morning a lot of baggage from past mistakes. They're carrying that baggage with them in life. They're having to deal with that. And they, and they question whether or not God could or would ever use them in their life because of their past or because of their lack of talent or resources or abilities. How could God ever use them? Some of the folks seated around you, maybe even right next to you, wonder if they'd ever be qualified for God to use them in some special way because of their past or even because of their present weaknesses. Some wonder if maybe because of the mistakes of the past that they've been disqualified from ever really knowing God in such a powerful way and ever being used by God in any kind of a special way. Some wonder here this morning, some seated around you this morning are wondering if the love of God really and truly extends beyond their own personal failures in life. God moves in a mysterious way. The enemy comes and says, you failed before and you're going to fail again. They need to know what the Apostle Paul learned and what he taught in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul understood that God will and does choose the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And that he has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. You might wonder why God would work that way, but I tell you again, it's all part of his mysterious plan, his mysterious purpose and, and, and his way. God has chosen the foolish things. He's chosen the weak things. He's chosen the base things. He's chosen the things that are despised for that very purpose that, as Paul tells us, in order that no flesh should glory in his presence.
You feel you're disqualified. You feel you're not able. You don't have the talents. You don't have the resources. You're the perfect candidate for God to work gloriously through. Because then it's him getting the glory. You come up and you say, oh, I've got all kinds of talents. I've got all kinds of resources. I've got all kinds of abilities. Let me read you my resume. Who's getting the glory? Not God. How easy it is for us, again, to idolize those who have been chosen in particular areas, like these apostles. But God chooses ordinary men and women and young people, people with ordinary struggles, ordinary failures, people just like you and I. And yet the Lord chooses them, and even as he told the, the apostles, he says, didn't I choose you all, and yet one of you is a devil? That's pretty intense. That's pretty bizarre. And yet, even in that, do you realize that Judas was used by God? Even the one who betrayed him. And the Father used the rest of those 11 powerfully to continue on his message in the world. That's why you and I are here today. Because those 12 men who stumbled over their own feet, who, who made all kinds of mistakes, who, again, would just soon wipe out everybody else that wasn't with them, God used them in a powerful way. And the message and the hope of the gospel still goes today. Time would fail me to speak of all of these men's lives and their ministries and even their deaths. But these were men, again, that to our criteria, they wouldn't have met for usefulness. But according to God's plan, they were the very ones that were very usable for him. I want you to simply consider in your own understanding and for your own life this morning, understand the truth of what we have said today in your own life. God moves in mysterious ways. And he will take our failures. He will take our stumblings. He will take our scars, our chips, our cracks, the stains of our life, and he'll use us if we will simply follow him when he makes that call. Our God moves in a mysterious way. Through Christ's death, his burial, and his resurrection, he is the one who provided the way that allows all of us in faith, to enter into that kingdom's work. He can and he will use you for his glory if you are willing to answer yes to his call to follow him and to be faithful and obedient to that and understand that it's not about you, but understand, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians, that we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. God moves in a mysterious way. His wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps upon the sea and he rides upon the storm. Oh, you fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings upon your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. 
behind, it, behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. Blind unbelief is sure to err, to scan his work in vain. But God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Open Word. David will continue teaching through the Gospel of Luke next time. Now we want to encourage you to become a Facebook friend with us. Log on to theopenword.com. You can also subscribe to The Open Word podcast at theopenword.com or search for The Open Word in the iTunes store. If you're like most people, you probably use a smartphone. Once you subscribe to The Open Word podcast, you'll always have solid Bible teaching available to you anywhere, anytime. So log on to theopenword.com and subscribe to The Open Word Podcast. Again, to become our Facebook friend and to access the archive of messages, log on to theopenword.com. Now here's Tracy with information about how you can help partner with us. We all know it's vitally important to support the local church, the place we call home. But it's also very important to support missionaries. Have you ever considered that The Open Word is a missionary work? It is. We need your support as we share God's Word over the airwaves. Please prayerfully consider financially supporting The Open Word. Go to theopenword.com and click on the support option in the main menu. We invite you to join us again for the next study as David shares insights with us from the Gospel of Luke. That's next time on The Open Word.